And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with what I believe all of you are going to find to be a very interesting guest straight out of Chicago, a man with the last name Jordan. No, it's not Michael, but it is a bit of an MVP in his part of the world, which covers a whole lot of stuff. So with me today, I've got Rick Jordan, and Rick's the CEO of Reach Out Technology. He's also the podcast host of the All In Podcast with Rick Jordan. We got a whole lot of stuff to talk about today. Now, Rick and I agreed that we would not script this. This is going to be about as improvisational as it comes. Mr. Jordan, welcome to Startup Hustle. What's shaking, Matt? Thanks for being, oh, having man. me on, man. I'm pumped. Lots of stuff. I'm sorry for introducing you as Chicago's second Jordan. Yes, but, second Jordan. <laughs> but if you're, if you're going to be second, you know, I get it. So For sure, my well, man. Anyway. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of good things I take from MJ, you know, and a lot of things that I shy away from too. But, you know, I, I, I love I always go back to him, you know, being flu ridden in the NBA finals and still just pushing through, man. That's a, that's discipline. Yeah. That's hustle. That's how it is. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I, and, and I'll follow you on that one. It's uh we, you know, you're talking about talking about Jordan, you know, we, we do that a lot uh, on our sales team. So we say, you yeah. shouldn't care if you're Pippen or Jordan, both of them have a handful of rings. Yes. So, right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, I'll go. I was at my dentist this morning and he came up too in a different way because I was talking about being at the at the White House last week. You know, I, I was there for cybersecurity, national security, and the the people in the room, it was like 30 people in this meeting, and I started talking about China and the CCP, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party. And there's a cybercrime espionage group that's backed by the CCP, funded by them. And not many people in the room knew who they were, even folks from the NSA, the CIA. It was funny because they hired within. And then my dentist brought up Jordan. He's like, yeah, remember when Jordan put together like his own team and it was all of his buddies? It didn't quite work out too well because he just hired within. You know, it's just finding the right people for the job, man. Even though he was a rock star, you, you got to put the right people in place. Well, that's always a challenge with any business. And, you know, your, your business yeah. has done well and you've done a lot of different things. And for those yeah, of you listening, cool. you know, Rick's, Rick's a frequent expert guest and, you know, little known networks like ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. You've been a speaker at NASDAQ, places like the Harvard Club, Mercedes, Coca-Cola, West Point, a couple, a couple places that no one else has heard of that you yeah. and I. Yeah. So, so, you know, when you, when you're out doing all this stuff and, and at the white house and in different places, like, you know, what's the topic? What, what are you talking about on all these shows? Yeah, man. Uh, sometimes it's cyber. A lot of times, because my book was on ethics, you know, I'm a big advocate for holding the line and no matter what the situation is. And the book is situational ethics, which kind of talks about that line and crossing it because of external forces. And usually the external forces are very much dollars and cents money. Yeah, it just pushes people into some bad territory. So I, I've talked about, geez, raising ethical kids, man. I got, I have amazing kids. I love them. I've talked about, you know, just doing the right thing in certain situations. And even at some points, I mean, just going all in. I mean, that's the name of my podcast, right? Which is kind of what I live by. That's what I did at the beginning of this year. Who knew this year was going to turn out the way that it did? Right. I was going to go on Fox in L.A., which is the number two market in America. You know, it's kind of like the baby today show, so to speak, out there. And then COVID hit. I mean, they fired all their anchors. It's just been an interesting year, man. But uh, I've talked leadership, you know, mentors, everything, you name it, at all these places. I tell stories, brother. That's what I do. Yeah, I hear you on that. You know, you talk about it being a weird year. I, I left for our office in the Philippines and, you know, I'm, I'm the founder of a company called Full Scale and I have a couple hundred employees. I left on uh, March 1st, the day after my frequent co-host's wedding. 
And I, oh, you know, went to the Philip went went to the Philippines, showed it up our office. I was filled with with inspiration and energy yeah. and excitement and and then barely made it out of the country on the uh, on the very last day that they let international flights leave. And you Dude, talk about killer. yeah. Oh yeah, you just talk about you know gut wrenching ups and downs, but yeah. the thing is, is that didn't the ups and downs about entrepreneurship don't even surprise me anymore. And you know, there's yeah. there's uh, you talk about whether it be ethics or a whole bunch of different topics. Entrepreneurship will put you through the ringer. It will challenge your moral fortitude. Oh, it Lord. will. It yeah. will make you learn things about yourself that you've never realized were possible, hopefully in a good way. Now, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that with a few words about your backstory. Yeah, man. I uh, you know, grew up very poor. And when I say poor, that doesn't mean that I didn't have things. Uh, it just means that stuff was always tight. And the way I relate that is that, you know, my parents had a really good marriage, at least from what you could see from my perspective. The only thing they ever really fought about was money, that those would be the knockdown drag out fights. And I never forgot that. Yeah, so my, my dad was a little more free flowing. My mom was more tight, you know, just always concerned about what was going to happen in life and how we were going to pay for things. Uh, growing up with that, man, I was like, you know, I never want that to be me. I never want to be in that position just from seeing how it just put them at odds. Then 16 years old, man, my dad dies, leukemia. And that just threw me into this crazy, just I'm alone in this world kind of scenario. It, that's really what I thought. You know, so if I, what can I count on here? Because in, in a matter of three months, I saw both he and his sibling, my, uh, my aunt, his only sister, pass away within a very, very short period of time. And I don't know. I, I look at that and everybody, everybody dies and it's not to be solemn in that moment, but it's why waste time? That's what I look at nowadays. You know, even going through my own near death experience five years ago, I came out of that trying to control everything I can possibly control and think, let's speed up whatever I can, because there's so much for me to accomplish. I'm never guaranteed tomorrow, but I'm not going to worry about tomorrow either. I always want to live today. Uh, growing through my teens, I wanted to be a cop which is interesting. I've always had this protective nature inside of me to try to go out and just be a shield around people, which is probably why cybersecurity resonates with me so well. It's that. And now I've got the opportunity to literally help our entire country shield us about from everyone else that's out there that's trying to hack in. That's really, really cool to me. It's a, I can never properly put in words that how I felt when I walked on the grounds of the White House a couple of weeks ago. Now, that, that was just intense, man, because everybody there, you know, whether you're right, left, center, it doesn't matter. Everybody there really just had, at least on the front, from what I could see, really just had this position the same as mine saying, let's just get the job done. Let's do what's right for this country because there's people out there, you know, just like Russia hacked the Ukraine's power grid a couple years ago. Those are the kinds of things that we're trying to protect against from China, Iran, Russia, everyone else. It's a, it's, it's a very intriguing circle that I've run. And somewhere in the middle of that too, man, I'm also a musician you know, and a pastor. I helped found three churches. I was ordained. I didn't even want to be ordained. They just wanted to just to give me the title on stage. But dude, I just love, love, love helping people. You know, because I had to go it alone for a lot of years, even raising my brother and sister when my dad passed for a few years until my mom got her head straight again, because she was obviously an emotional wreck coming out of my dad passing. I mean, the love of her life. Right. And just seeing her go through that and just being the rock there for my brother and sister. I, I just want to be that person that lifts everybody up because people go through crap, man. So everything I do has that motivation in it. It has to be. We're, we're here on this earth to serve. Right. I know everybody uses that serve first mentality and cliche, but that's the only reason it exists. The only reason when I was laid off 12 years ago, two weeks before my twins were born, why I jumped into this entrepreneurial weirdness and disease, as I like to call it too, because I feel in some ways we're a little bit more insane than everybody else. The only reason I jumped in, man, the biggest one is because I love building a team. I love payroll time. I don't see it as an expense. I see it as extending my family into a lot of other people and being able to impact directly the lives of others by signing checks a couple times a month. I love that. Yeah, I always tell people it's uh, there's a, I'm, I'm a frequent uh, 
you'll, you'll hear me say frequently, I love signing commission checks. Uh, yeah, more than right else. I, I love signing checks, but commission checks, like stack them up. How many do I get? Yeah, to sign? sure. And uh, I, I talked to a lot of uh, I've talked to a lot of founders over the years and they're like, oh, this and all that. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you should want to sign those checks right like, on, man. Like, I mean, dude, stack them up like exactly. Hey. If your whole day consists of signing commission checks, you should be really, really excited about that. So, right all right. Now, now you talk about it's a reach out technology. Is something you, yeah. a business you've been in for ten, ten, a decade. Yep. Now, obviously, cybersecurity is is continuing to, uh, you know, get headlines and be something that that everyone's worried about. It's a massive industry and it's predicted to get even bigger. Like, I mean, how did you end up in cybersecurity? Were you a tech guy or did you just see an opportunity or like, where, how did that come about? Yeah, dude, I, I've always been a tech guy. So when I said I was going to be a cop when I was a teenager, you know, that was that protective nature that I was saying. And then around that time, cause I, I mean, that was 16 years old when I became a police cadet at 18, I had my career set in my head where I was going to join the military. I was going to be a Marine military police an MP. And from there I would have my ticket into any state law enforcement agency that I wanted. I just figured I'd do my four years to get the training that I needed, the experience, and then I'd have a clear sailing from there, dude, the Marines wouldn't take me. I had a medical history of asthma. And during that time too, this is actually a story in my book. I helped bust a lieutenant at the police department that I was a cadet with for sleeping with two underage cadets, man. So he was a cop and then there was a cover up. I mean, this was a scenario of situational ethics, right? And then the chief, he tried to push that person off on a buddy of his who was in a suburb like 50 miles away because the chief's contract was up for renegotiation. Again, we come down to money, right? So that was the sign to me that I took. It's like, maybe I'm not supposed to be a cop. From there, I jumped into a warehouse, you know, and I, going back, I built my first computer when I was 10 years old. It's just something that very much came naturally to me. You know, after this whole thing didn't work out with the military and being a cop, I jumped into a warehouse just shipping boxes, but the warehouse was for Merrill Lynch. And they saw me and looked at just from conversations like, you know, this kid's kind of smart. Let's throw him in here and see how he does with servers and everything. Now, during that time, it only took me about three weeks worth of training. I dove in, I studied my butt off. And after that, I was responsible for a rollout of freaking 12,000 servers and 150,000 computers to Merrill Lynch's branch offices across the U.S. This was in 99 during the height of the dot-com era. And everything was just cracking, man. I, I went to school for Linux at that time, kind of like a boot camp. Got my networking certifications during that point. And all my cybersecurity stuff started in that moment with this enterprise level stuff. So I just jumped headfirst into it, man. Then from there, you know, the rollout was done and they're like, hey, dude, good job. We got no more work for you. <laughs> That's awesome. Woo. Yay. I'll move on. No problem. But I was working for Best Buy at the time. I was just doing that. My wife and I were married, just newly married. And I was there for the discount. That's the only reason I was working at Best Buy, man, because I, I love movies. I like home theater stuff. And they came on. They're like, you know, we got this. Uh, we've got this opening for a, a, a services manager, a tech services manager. Are you interested? And it was right the right timing. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll take that. That's fine. Walked right into that. Then Best Buy acquired Geek Squad. You know, Geek Squad was this little Minneapolis company at the time. They might have been doing maybe a million in revenue, something like that. And Best Buy acquired them because they saw the vision, saw the concept. After the acquisition, I was the first of seven in test stores across the U.S. to try to integrate Geek Squad. I was the first in Chicago. And they were coming to me asking, you know, Rick, you, you go into these homes and these businesses, man. And yeah, you're fixing their stuff. That's great because you're, you're the tech, right? How in the world is your per ticket average three times higher than our other six control stores or other six test stores? They couldn't, they couldn't answer this question. This was corporate looking at me. And I would answer them like, guys, it's pretty simple. What happens when you see somebody that needs something? You just freaking ask them, hey, I'm here. Can I take care of this for you too? By the way, I forgot to tell you that I was in McDonald's. What, my first real job was McDonald's. How does that correlate? You want fries with that? Sure. <laughs> they, they, yeah. They've got it down, right? I mean, it's simple. It's simple sales, man. So from there, they had me go up and they had me train because of that mentality. They had me train all of Canada. 
during the rollout. They hired, you know, a couple hundred brand new Geek Squad agents. And I just traveled Canada for about three months, rolling this whole thing out. And they asked me to go up to Minneapolis to, to move there and be one of the three people that heads up the whole thing for the U.S. I said, no, because I didn't like all that snow. Even though I'm from Chicago, it's still a little bit worse in Minneapolis. I just wanted to stay around the Chicago area. So that's a long answer to was I a tech but that's, that's it. From there, I cross over the dark side, man, because I went into B2B with Best Buy. I wrote through an entire sales playbook during this launch of the B2B division, trained all of the B2B salespeople, the consultants in their tech division, and then they completely crushed the division in 2007. That's when I was laid off and started on this journey, man. And it was two weeks before my twins were born. You find out real fast that even though you can provide a service, yeah, there's a lot in my industry that just do the job, right? They might get laid off like I was. I've even said there's gonna this year there's probably gonna be a lot of COVIDpreneurs or coronapreneurs in any industry, but in tech industry specifically, all these internal IT departments are laying people off. That's kind of how I see myself back in 2007, 2008 with Best Buy. I was laid off because the division just went away. And now I was forced to do some things, but in order to actually make an income, dude, you have to freaking sell. You have to open your mouth and ask, do you want this? You have to look around and see what opportunities exist and say, you know, is this something else that I can help you with? Or even think outside the box and just try to think from a money perspective, because there's things that will generate income from you that are a valuable service to people, even if it might not be something that you're comfortable doing right then and there, because it's not removing that virus, you know, or scrubbing that porn as I did a lot with Geek Squad. <laughs> when I first started with Geek Squad, that's almost all I did, man. I thought, oh, it's Geek Squad. Great. I'm going to be, you know, joining networks and building huge companies, you know, showing them the way to the future with this internet thing. And the first the first call man it was like i'm here to scrub your porn <laughs> it was that's really all it was brother you know even going to the house of uh charles tillman at the time who was a chicago bear you know we're coming back to the the sports stuff we were talking about right charles tillman dude i walked up to his house knocked on the door he opens the door and he's like hey man he's like i'm like what's up dude he's like you my geek I'm like, I guess nice. I am, brother. <laughs> exactly. Here I am in the black pants, you know, the the white shirt, the the black tie, looking like a Mormon that's handing out Bible tracts. You know, <laughs> he's like, you my geek? I'm like, I sure am, brother. He's like, good, dude. He's like, because my, com my computer's got gonorrhea or some shit. <laughs> he's like, it's all STD'd up. <laughs> nice. I'm like, yeah, like, dude, what happened? He's like, my uncle, brother. My uncle was over here looking at all the nudie sites. I'm like, your uncle, right, dude? Yeah, <laughs> so, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I walk yeah, in. Uh, go ahead, it, man. It, it, it's it, well, it's interesting. You know, the whole the whole Best Buy story is, uh, you know, Best Buy has been up and down. They've gone ten different directions, and you know, I have some experience yeah. with. Them. I used to I used to travel up to Minneapolis, uh, yeah, for a different job, and I worked for Roland at, at, for a few years. It's the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments, and yes, they are. You know, they, they do. And they find yep. about $5 billion a year worth. But at the time the circuit city was still a thing. And we were talking yeah, about mission checks yep. earlier. So circuit yep. city's brilliant plan for cost cutting was to get rid of all their top salespeople. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Super where are they smart, at right? now? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Where are they at now? They don't Dude, exist. And, you know, that huge layoff that I was talking about that I was a part of, right. With B2B. So Best Buy offered me a, uh, an assistant manager job in one of the stores when I had already been a GM in a store and I was at a regional level now with their B2B you now, cause it was, a, I learned a lot about politics during that time. Right. Cause I was only maybe 27 years old, 26 years old at that time. So you start to figure out that it, it really does become a lot more of who you know than what you know. Cause I, I never played the politics game. Well, I always just was just pretty cut and dry and straight. I still am right now. I can say things with a little bit more softness now, but I'm still straight. I mean, even on my own show, dude, I got a segment called the straight truth because I feel that people just need to hear what they need to hear regardless. But during that access, dude, a lot of people, a lot of my friends were going over to circuit city, you know, and that was before circuit started laying off everybody. And I, you could see the writing on the wall, man. I'm like, guys, that's a bad move. Don't you'd be better off at Walmart or something like that for the for this new economic downturn we're gonna have. 
I, I've consistently used that as one of the worst business and strategy decisions that I've ever seen for really a big company. Top, yeah. And you know, like and, and and maybe part of that is much like yourself, I you know, I'm a natural salesperson. That's been yeah. something I mean, I've been selling stuff since I can remember anything. And um, and I think that's such a big part to the growth of a company. And as the and you know, the CEO of any business should be the best salesperson. It doesn't mean that you're out there knocking on doors the way that you may have at one point. But you know, what when it comes to leadership and growing a business, do you still, as the CEO of Reach Out Technology, do you still consider yourself to be on the sales team? I do, and uh, it's an interesting question because I feel like I'm on a transition period right now too. I have a team, but right now my effort is in training that team because uh, our company's in a unique position this year. We're, we're going public with a tier two reg A offering. Uh, and the whole reason is because we, we want to acquire other cybersecurity firms, the smaller ones, you know, because DHS, Department of Homeland Security puts us at only 18% of us actually know what's going on, uh, which is tragic, man. But at the same time, it's not really anybody's fault because the, the field just changes so fast. My focus now, so when you say, hey, am I still on the sales team? Yes, but I'm selling something different now. I'm not selling the products and the services that ReachOut has to offer. Now I'm selling the company vision and direction to investors and to the public from a stock perspective saying this is the, we will be the national brand because there really isn't one that exists right now. And that's the whole reason why we're taking advantage of this. And also it's still, it's that same serving thing, right, man, taking care of people, because a lot of, you know, you hit, every business has like their computer guy, right? Their IT guy. And it's usually like a one-man shop. Reach out was that, meaning I literally was that a decade ago. I'm not now. I've got teams. You talk about the Philippines during March. I opened a global office in the Philippines too. And it was right during the time to where I couldn't go over there. It was maybe just a couple weeks after you were there. Uh, so we've expanded and grown so much, man. And now my sales efforts is really just from a public branding perspective saying this is the vision and this is where we've been. This is where we're going. This is why you need to invest. No matter what, dude, everybody wakes up in the morning, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with your wife. You know, you said you're a natural salesperson. You're selling yourself every single day in every aspect of your life. It's not even just in business. And there's this misnomer in my industry because it's the, the tech minded people, right? I like to say that I crossed over to the dark side a long time ago, meaning moving from the tech side, the engineer mind over to the sales side. I cross over, brother. You know? <laughs> that line is just long gone. I love the sales side because I love talking to people. And I feel like I can almost do more good if I'm not the one that's crawling under desks, if I'm not the one that's in server closets, because I can actually put the strategies together and the pieces of the puzzle. And I get to see those quick wins all the time. You know, it's amazing. And now I get to rope people into this crazy thought that I had, this crazy vision and be like, we're going to keep going, guys. I don't care how many times we're going to fall flat on our face. It's another area of selling because I constantly have to sell myself to my team, the people that work for reach outs and that I actually know what I'm doing. Right. The, the secret to any entrepreneur is that you, you always just know the destination. Right. For the most part, you kind of know where you're at, but everybody else around you thinks, you know, all 187 steps to get there which is hilarious to me because uh, I try to be vulnerable and transparent, but at the same time, you have to show some, you know, just confidence and saying, Hey, here's our next three steps. At least I know this much, you know, when we get to, done with those three, then we'll figure out the next seven after that. But th you're always selling yourself to everybody around you and personal life, business work, all of it. So you, Everything you just said reminds me of something I find myself saying to other CEOs or hopeful founders, and it's it's to try to evolve into Mickey Mouse. And yeah. if you look at yeah. if you look at and I you know I say this about myself a lot because I want to evolve. We should as a, as a CEO, you should want to in many ways evolve into Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse stands out in front of the magical kingdom. He's like, "Come you on in, everybody. Come on. You you know me. You believe in me. Come on in. Here it is." But the one place you don't find Mickey is in the box office window. You don't find him in the gift shop. You don't find him emptying the trash. You don't find him doing a lot of other things. But he is the greatest salesperson for the magical kingdom. So, you know, it, yeah. 
Well, it's and it's but it's very palatable as well, because obviously everyone knows who Mickey Mouse is. And yep, I think yep. he's doing a quite effective job of marketing uh, because my three and a half year old is completely obsessed with him. So he's doing something right. <laughs> but but that, that whole point of, of inspiring vision and belief and honest. You know, OK, so yeah. no one sells no one sells more Disney than Mickey. And right whether you whether you like Disney or not, you can get the example. And there's a lot of stuff to go now. Now, if we talk about uh, someone guiding us during our own story, we all have someone. We have we have yeah. mentors. We have people that we believe in. There may be people we partnered with, someone we modeled a business after. Um, so, our, and you know, I think a lot of people catch that early uh, in the process yep. as well. I try to do a particular. Uh, I try to be very um, uh, accessible to a lot of people that have questions. So along your way, who was there anyone that guided, invested, mentored, partnered, or you modeled your whole approach after? Yeah, man, there there was, and uh, his name is Gary Pika. You can find him all over, you know, in my industry. He's He's getting into his 60s now. I think he's late 60s now at this point. He's going to kill me if he, if he and I get peg his age wrong. He's going I, on 42. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, I met him, man, uh, almost at the start of everything, you know, about a decade ago and brought him on board because he, he had a business like mine, but it wasn't cybersecurity. It was just IT support, right? And his biggest model, which blew my mind because he, here I am a dude that was struggling to take home, you know, like 60 grand a year, you know, cause I was just starting off. I was laid off and I had a few clients on board and, you know, now here we are a decade later. And I just read the stat the other day that the small business administration, you know, says that the average income for a small business owner, meaning like take home pay that would go on their W2 or equivalent is like $59,000 a year. It's ridiculous, man. You know, but it starts to make sense because especially when I look at my industry and where I was, uh, but I would see guys like Gary and he had just sold his IT business and he was at the point to where he was doing $600,000 a month in recurring revenue. This isn't projects or anything else. And he had built that up over the course of maybe just about six years. That's it. Uh, and I would look at him like, oh my God, I would love that. Cause you're talking, that was like $7 million annually in recurring guaranteed revenue. As long as you just didn't screw up the accounts and you did what you said you were going to do, it was just guaranteed dollars. And in this business, it's high margin too, man. And he was running at like 65 points of margin, gross margin. So imagine that that's bank. And I'm looking at that and I'm not thinking, oh, I can make a ton of money. I'm looking at that and thinking, shoot, I could have a whole freaking company with, you know, 50 people, a hundred people, whatever it is. I need to go there because to me, that is success when I can impact the lives of everybody else. Uh, he just started his coaching around that time and modeling things after him from a structural perspective was just amazing. The biggest thing I learned from him wasn't even so much sales because I was already there with that, but it was more so efficiencies and what you have in your business and trying to squash as much as you can. Cause you know, most in my industry that do the revenue that I do have three times the amount of staff. So when I go to, when I go speak at conferences, when I go to different groups, you know, they all, they always ask, you know, the, one of the big questions, Hey, how many texts do you have? And I tell them like, how the heck do you do the revenue you do with that little amount of people? Like guys, it's operational efficiency, you know? And then I just think, I'm like, think about the economics of scale, which most don't even understand. This is how I can go into an acquisition mode now too, because I can just trim down the fat, so to speak, or redirect people into areas where they'll be more efficient and generate more revenue off the same amount of people. That's what I learned from Gary, man. And he's just amazing. I mean, he has a podcast now too, but it was cool because he and I spoke at the same conference last year. And he came up to me. He's like, dude, your podcast is awesome. I'm like, thanks, my man. You know, you, you got a pretty good one too. And he's like, can you tell me how you're doing so well on your on your show? <laughs> it was really cool because it was like eight years later. And now he's asking me. It's like the, the mentor became the student, right? But I've also noticed because you asked one single person. He's the one that I could pick out. But over the past 10 years, there's really been several that have existed. He's the one that I modeled my business after. However, there's a lot of other ones too, because I feel that for the most part, mentors in your life can only guide you to the point that they've gone themselves. They can only lead you down a path that they've walked on their own. And 
that's why I feel that there comes to a certain point, at least for me, you know, maybe there's one that you can find, you know, that, that some, one of your listeners can find that they stick with them for 10 years, stick with her for 20 years, whatever. But I really feel that you do kind of move past your mentors because it, it should be, it's almost like martial arts, right? It's always the desire of that. My youngest son is, is in Taekwondo. It's always the desire of the master that the students surpass them, you know, at least a good master, a good teacher. Though when you can look at somebody and at your student be like, man, that dude or that girl, they just really rocked it. And now they've moved beyond me. So I'm going to ask them how well they're, how they're doing so good on their podcast, just like Gary did with me. And I was able to give him some tips. There's been a lot of mentors that I've had along the way that I have grown past and that's okay because now I can reach back and help them. The cool part is though, dude, most of them that I've teamed up with or that I've submitted myself to have been very secure in that. You know, there's maybe two or three that have not been to where they get a little bit jealous of how good that you do and start to think, well, why can't I do that? You know, and then you just, you try to be nice to them, but you can surpass them and it's okay. You should want to surpass your mentors. You should want to do better than them. Every time you bring on a mentor to teach you, you should always desire to do better than them. And that's going to give them joy. But at the same time, you can bring up a whole new generation behind you because things change, man. I mean, the IT business, like, like my industry, is not the same as it was 10 years ago. Gary, when he was still running his companies, it's different now. You know, and he's moving into his, well, he's 42, right? We decided that at least. (laughs) He's moving into a point. So I think his son's going to take over his coaching business, perhaps, you know, he's maybe sitting on a couple of different boards now. It's just a different season in life. He's not going to start up another cybersecurity company right now. That's not his thing, you know, but he can teach people and then he can raise up other people that do better than him and they can then teach those that follow behind them. It's a great pattern of life, brother. Yeah, I'm a big believer in knowledge transfer in general. And, you know, it's uh, sometimes you'll find, like you said, you're, well, you should want your mentor. Your mentor should want you to get past where they're at. Yeah. If they are, if they are expressing or showing some form of jealousy, then they might not be the right person. I, now I, I spend time mentoring different people myself and I'm kind of, I'm pretty careful and selective about who I choose to invest my time in. I think the big trick with that is you have to do it with absolutely no sense of return. Like, yeah, you right can't, yeah and, and I think that's where yeah. that's the purest form of knowledge transfer. And one of the things that that I've taken a little different approach with now, you mentioned being a musician. I worked in the music industry for a while, and it's given me Sweet. some very inter- given me some very interesting access to some interesting people. Uh, you know, my last book was more of a hobby book. I wrote The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career. I was fortunate to have a member of Dave Matthews Band write the foreword. We've had Taylor Hicks, who won American Idol, Huey cool. Lewis, who was once one of the biggest rock stars in the world. Yeah, and dude. Different people. So I, you know. I've, I've, I have this fascination with musicians because musicians, in my opinion, have a very difficult job because they've got to go up and they've got to do their thing at an exact time with a, a absolute precision and accuracy, or they can mess up once in a night. And that's what people will often remember as opposed to the two and a half hours where they slayed it. But yeah, right you know, on, dude. Try, yeah. I, I think, it, I think it's important too far. Yeah, sure. Something, you know, or just something goofy. And that's what people remember or talk about on the internet. But I, one of the things with mentoring is I want to encourage people to go out and try to find mentors that are not in your industry, go out and try to find people that are accomplishing things on this ridiculously high level and doing things that other people can't. And then begin to compare your processes like, you know, and, and, and I love talking to like a, you know, a, a one, you take like one of the world's greatest guitarists or something. You say, well, how do you do yeah, what you man. do? And say, yeah. you ask a question and like one of them, so my friend, Jake Seninger, uh, and you know, I'll ask him, I say, well, Jake, how many guitar chords are there? And he'll be, well, there's 7,334. And well, how many <laughs> of them do you know? And he'll be like, dude, I, I know them all. You know, yeah. and it's just, but, but it's little <laughs> things like that. It's like, you know, it's like that matter of fact, like, yeah, I know them all. Well, yeah. and that, but that makes me think I'm like, shit, what do I not know all of with what <laughs> I do? Cause this guy's really good at what he does. And, you know, like he'll, I've had conversations with him. He can not only tell you all 7,334 guitar chords, he can give them to you backwards and just in pieces. Yeah. And, but it's a complete mastery 
over what, what something that most people would love to do. Now, yes, some natural talent exists there, but in the end, it is it's nothing other than acknowledging that success yeah. does demand payment in advance. And I haven't been able to prove that wrong. I, I and I you've you've been around a lot of talented and intelligent people. Have you? Could, would you agree that success does demand payment in advance? Like, there's no real shortcut to the end. And if it, it I mean, I think if it is, if you think you've got a shortcut, eh, it's usually short lived. Yeah, for sure, man. There's one of my mentors who's still one of my mentors right now that would he constantly yells at me, and not yells, but you know, slaps me <laughs> a little bit, you know, and, and just says, "Rick, you can't skip steps." Uh, and I start to think, it's like, I, I know you're right, you know, but there's always this thing that is inside of me that thinks that maybe we can accelerate the steps. So to your point, yeah, I feel like, yes, I'm with you 100% is that I don't think you can skip steps because if you do, you're going to miss something. And you're not going to be as good. How can you learn all 7,334 guitar chords if you don't just freaking learn A and One B? At for- time. <laughs> exactly. One at a time. One at a time. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's and- no way. And even on those you build, cause being a guitarist myself, I know you build off of those, you know, yeah. you can't play a, you know, a C sharp augmented without building off of an F sharp, you know? So it's I uh, I don't even know. I'm just throwing crap out now, but it's <laughs> cause I don't know all 7,334 chords, but different chords you build off of everything else. Right. So piece of knowledge where you're at right now is really a, a culmination and a building of things that you've had before. If you skip one of those, you don't have all the puzzle pieces. And that's what one of my mentors keeps drilling into me is that, Rick, you can't skip steps. You have to go through these specific fires, even if it's just nothing more than the experience in order to get that way. You said something else, too, man, about you know having mentors that are outside of your area of expertise. There's no way, no way that I would be taking a public approach to my organization this year. It wasn't even a thought in my mind until... About a year and a half ago, when I joined a different mastermind, you know, that was completely outside of the bubble of IT, because it, IT has its bubble. They o- almost don't listen to anybody else that's outside of it. You know, they just might hear a celebrity come on stage, you know, every now and then, but they don't go outside their industry in general to get expertise. As soon as I did that, that's where I started meeting folks, you know, like Michael Gerber, the author of The E-Myth, you know, that I've had conversations. I'm going to interview him in a couple of weeks too. And that's where I met Kevin Harrington. You know, I can call the original shark from Shark Tank. I can call him up, which I did even just a few weeks ago, being like, dude, can you, here's one of my struggles right now for a capital raise. And he just spends 45 minutes on the phone with me because it's a relationship that I've built. But I, if I didn't go outside my industry, man, I never would be at the place that I am today or have this expansive thought process and now vision that's just been blown up. I can pull from my past because I don't feel that I skipped any steps in my area of expertise. But now I'm going into an area that I don't know. And it's an area that doesn't only lean on my area of expertise or my industry. It's an area that needs to be more expansive. Because uh, example, public personal brand, almost nobody in IT has a personal brand. The only one that I can think from a community, even from communications, and this is a stretch, right, is John Ledger, the former CEO of T-Mobile. The dude was the slow cooker guy, right? Slow cooker Sunday. He's got, you know, 80,000 something followers, 100,000 on Instagram, you know, a couple million on Twitter. You know, the dude is just put himself out there and he is the reason this is coming back to the Mickey Mouse thing, right? He became the Mickey Mouse for T-Mobile. So when I look at guys like that, you know, that are are in my industry that don't typically get out of the industry, you know, they're missing out too. And now who knows what John's going to do, but looking at him, you know, cause he was a Dell before then. Right. And he grew up in the industry and he became a really, really powerful CEO. I'm hoping that he branches out. Now there was rumor last year that he might go to WeWork as a CEO, but I guarantee you, man, that he is looking outside the industry and he has mentors and coaches from not just within T-Mobile or wherever he was at, but he's looking outside as well. You know, maybe Warren Buffett's of the world, those kinds of people that have helped him get where he's at because he does look at others that are outside that little bubble. I love that approach that you have now, man. But yeah, brother, don't skip steps. That's a a big lesson I've had to learn. 
one, one of the things too is, you know, so I really have, I've got, oh man, at least a decade in of, of chasing interesting and engaging people. I often <laughs> find they're more fascinated with me than I am with them, which is <laughs> always a surprise. It's very humbling. Uh, yeah. but, but some, some of it's about the approach and, you know, we were just talking about Jake. So Jake taught me something very interesting. He forces himself to make errors because he wants to see what happens after. Right so on. like, we'll literally yeah. play wrong notes because he just wants to see what happens, you know? And, and I think that that's such an, a weird and interesting approach. It's, it's actually quite yeah. scientific um, because you never know, like you look at some of the things that, you know, we're like, we won't go down the list, but some of the yeah. most interesting and useful things in the world were invented accidentally. And yeah. you never know what's going to happen. So I, I just thought that that was uh, always looking for the note that hasn't been played and the combination that hasn't been played. And you you look at music and and dude, like really, like who's who's going to invent a new chord that you right can't on. or you won't? Yeah. So just trying different stuff. All right. So now with that, since we've gone down this rabbit hole, I'm, <laughs> this is this is a question that I ask frequently, or at least over my last three years has been a staple in these conversations. So what's the difference between being a genius and being crazy? Dude, I think I'm still trying to figure that part out because I, I feel like the genius side of it is a little crazy. Uh, the If I were to pull back on some coaches right now, because I just had my first board meeting a couple weeks ago, right? And they kept saying, you know, Rick, we want to keep you out of the day-to-day. -day. We want to keep you out of the day-to-day -day so you can be in your genius. You're the visionary. Right. And everything that I told him, I mean, even on the call, right, because I've been traveling a lot, but making a documentary on government overreach and they want me to be in a great cash position. That way I can be comfortable and like go make another movie, you know, and I even threw out there. I'm like, guys, can we try to work? You know, here I am, a tech company you know, CEO, and I'm working on a movie about government overreach, you know, and they're just thinking from the perspective of, hey, man, it's attention. Anything that's going to draw attention to you is going to be good. So then I, I go through the like, what do you need right now? I'm like, guys, I really need a private jet. And I was thinking out loud, right? Because there's this part of me that doesn't want to come across as arrogance because I, of my church background. And there was a lot of false humility that was impressed upon me. That's unpacking a whole rabbit hole if we want to go that way at some point in the conversation. But thinking that they're going to think weird about that. And they're like, well, why do you want that? And I said, because the time, guys. Because in here, in my mind, I'm thinking that they're going to feel that I'm a little crazy, right? Because it, you look at, again, Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, you know, the, the guys that genuinely I feel need them and also can afford them. You know, but then my CFO was on the board meeting call too, and nobody thought that I was crazy. Everyone just said, we need you to be in your genius. And if we can compress your time, as long as we can make this to where it's an income producing asset, we are behind you every step of the way so you can spend more time in your genius. And here I'm thinking, they're just going to think I'm nuts. You know, as soon as it came out of my mouth, it's like, why the hell did I just say that I want a plane? <laughs> why did I tell my board at the very first board meeting for the company that's going to be public here in a little bit that I want a freaking play? You know, <laughs> they're going to think I'm some like young, stupid Zuckerberg or something like that, that has, you know, the, just these crazy ideas of how the world works or how I want it to work. No, but no, they were all behind me, man, because they see that as something that drives the genius forward. I feel that, and I had this conversation yesterday with my executive director too doing high leverage activities or making everything strategic. You know, and that's the point I feel where I'm at right now. There was a point in my life where it was just doing things just to do them, just to gain the experience. And I needed to, you know, for example, going on TV tours, talking about how to raise ethical kids, you know, does that really tie into cybersecurity or anything that I'm doing? No, but I needed the experience to do it. It's that not skipping steps. So even with that, there was still strategy behind it. If I could make the separation between being a genius and being crazy, crazy would be just continuing to maybe be a genius, but for no reason at all, you know, not helping everybody else because the crazy side, I feel just wraps up all in your own self. The genius side of it is really trying to enhance the lives of other people and trying to structure everything around your life to allow you to be in that space rather than crazy could be an escape from that space. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten an answer like that before, but that's kind of how I see it only because I've recently had this experience where I thought my brand new board of directors is going to think I'm crazy by just bringing up, I need a plane. Like, no man, what's your thought process behind that? 
because they knew I had one. You know, I wasn't just throwing it out there for no reason as a distraction just to help myself, which would be the crazy side. They knew that there was a strategy and a purpose behind it, which is to accelerate everything else. I'll share a couple of interesting answers. Now, before that, you know what's not what what's what's not crazy is letting today's sponsor, Crown CFO, get a shot at your fractional CFO business. And, uh, you know, it, you can go to crowncfo.com forward slash hustle and learn all about them. Uh, sometimes it's about, crown. I had to work that in there, man, got to pay the yeah. bills so I can continue to have uh, these conversations with guys like you. Now, uh, oh, you know, one that. thing we've, we've, that's an interesting question. I have had a uh, I've had a lot of interesting answers. Uh, maybe the best is who cares, um, which I thought was like a really practical thing. Uh, there's a there's a large school of thought around the fact yeah. that that uh, that it, it well, and the who cares comes from because it's it, it it is always a third party opinion. It's the outside looking yeah. in. A lot of people believe that you will be called crazy until you do something that others feel is notable, and then you're a genius. Like you look at Elon Musk, you know, and if he's oh, yeah, yeah. saying some of the things he's saying and he's not Elon Musk, people are going to be like, dude, where's your tinfoil hat? Um, yep. Yeah, we've had a lot of a lot of different uh, a lot of different uh, input from that. Now, one of the things, you know, you talked about the jet. So one of the things that, that I've realized in talking to many, many brilliant people is that they do best when they keep themselves in that place where they need to be at the time they need to be in it. And, yeah. uh, and now, what does that even mean? The rock star that needs to hit that node at 1023 on a Friday night in front of 15,000 people, he needs to not be hauling his gear in and out. He needs to not worry about the way his pedals are set up or tuning the guitar or anything. So clearing the path uh, for, for it's back to the Mickey mouse principle, like Mickey mouse isn't yeah. in the box office. He's not in the gift shop, any yeah. of that stuff, because if he is, then he's not out front waving people to come inside. So there, there's some very interesting perspectives of that. There's a follow-up question that'll come with that. And I didn't used to have this as well. Then, then are you obsessed or are you driven? I would say I'm both man. It's, uh, you know, my wife would probably say I'm both too. <laughs> my wife would probably say I'm obsessed. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like to say driven. It sounds so much better, but so do you think, do you think that you can, don't you think, do you think, that's do you think entrepreneurs can achieve at a high level and get to do some of the things that you've done, I've done other people we know have done without having a little bit of crazy obsession in them? Dude, it has to be that way. And uh, there's something in me, man, you know, and uh, this, it, maybe it's the outside perspective, but I recognize this. And you know, this is why I, I think I even used on this show, on your show here a little bit earlier, the word disease, right? When we first started off, because there, no matter what it is, dude, it's hard for me to stop, you know, and there's nothing else in my life. I mean, e even when it comes to you know, like I was in opioids for a while because I had this costochondritis stuff, this inflammation of cartilage, right? And I started seeing, started noticing myself being sluggish during the day. So I just quit on a dime after six months. You know, same with smoking when I tried that years ago. It was just quit on a dime after six months. And when I decided, you know what, I'm done being fat, I stopped overeating just on a dime. Yeah, so, and I dropped 80 pounds. There's nothing really that I've been addicted to in life as far as what people would think addictions are but if it's obsession or if it's driven what, what does that really matter you know for me it's this weird thing inside that just keeps me moving forward and i just can't stop even in the face of utter freaking failure man and falling on my face i have to get back up and i see all my team around me because they take it way harder than me man way harder when, when something happens. I mean, I went through a scenario last year with an event where I was just screwed over, dude, by, by a venue. And I had to, to cancel it because of a legal scenario. I mean, I, so many tickets, you know, lost like $300,000 in the process of this whole thing. You know, and my team around me was really, really just beaten down. And I'm just right there. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go away for a week. And then when I come back, we're just going to start crushing the next thing. It's as simple as that. Uh, and I don't, I don't know why I'm that way. 
I, I really, I wish I could examine myself and give you a specific word. Am I obsessed? Yeah. Am I driven? Yeah. Am I addicted <laughs> to continuing to move forward? Sure. If you want to use that word, I don't know why that is though. I could, if I could, and I've also thought, you know, being a coach myself, if I could like bottle that or put that in a program or, or teach that in some way, I would love to be able to do that. But I just don't get it when I even look at myself in the mirror and it's like, how, how am I like this? Yeah. And maybe it's because I've just been hit so many times in life when I was young, you know, if that's the nurture thing versus the nature thing, you know, but even before that, trying to figure things out, you know, I, I have no idea, man. I wish I could, I could just package that in a nice little sales funnel and click funnels and say, here you go, because I would love for everybody in the world to be that way where they just continuously get hit. So whatever word you want to call it, I'm that word. You know, even diseased or, you know, or maybe mental, mentally ill because I just I can't I'll see failure and I just keep plowing through it, man. And because of that, most of the time teams will run through walls for me. But that's because I look behind. I'm like, let's keep going, guys. Let's keep drudging forward. How do you keep doing that? Maybe you can tell me. Psychoanalyze me here, Matt. Come on. Well, I, I don't know I if I can. Way. I don't know if yeah. I can because, you know, honestly, man, I'm, I've been looking for the same answers for I'm 45 years old. And I, I mean, this is why I'm out having conversations. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was you use the phrase bottle it up. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's uh, so I grew up an ADHD kid, like I was disruptive. I was a terrible student. I graduated from high school with like a 2.0 GPA. If I hadn't taken driver's ed in the summer, I might not have even graduated because I just was not a good student. If I wasn't interested in it, I just didn't even try. And yep. now yep. so I would have like an A or a D. I would either be the best student or I was like, who are you? And, yeah, I feel and you. you know, I've always, I've always uh, struggled to try to figure that out. If most of the people that know me and have to describe me will use the word energy at some point. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, and, and there, and a lot of people covet that because they're like, wow, I, I don't know how you have the energy to do all the things that you do. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I'll tell you what, I wish I could dial it down because yes, the, yes. the, the, sometimes <laughs> the noise in, in your own head and, and, you know, not yeah. to sound, not to want to sound arrogant or overconfident. Like I throw away million dollar ideas daily because yeah. that's not what I'm in the business of chasing. I, I would love to get them out of my head because they become a distraction. They become yeah. things that, that aren't where I need to be. Now on the flip side of that, I, I totally agree with the leadership perspective um, you know, if my team doesn't think that I'm going to run through a wall for them, uh, you know, I mentioned almost getting stuck in the Philippines. I had a plane ticket out of there on the 15th or, yeah. and I called my wife on the 14th and I said, I can't come home right now. She said, what do you mean? And I said, I can't, I have to talk to our entire company. I got 200 employees there. I can't go stand in front of those people and tell them that they need to be strong, that we need to come to work. We need to do all this and then get on the jet plane in the morning and go back to America. Like, yeah, I just thought that yeah. was a shitty thing to do. I ended up staying for five other days, but you talk about like how that, how that went over with the team. Cause like, I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to just be like, Hey, you got to do something I'm not going to do now. Yeah. I, I got a cup one final thing. Cause we, we got into my alternative questions list, which is a good thing. That's, I don't ask everyone this. <laughs> so I, you will often hear me say that your strength and your weakness hold hands. So you and I are both, are both, uh, uh talkers. I think it's yeah. fair to say that, which is a good example because at some point, if you are good, if you are good with the words, you've learned that you can also use too many of them. All right. So of that, course. that happens to, to anyone and everyone that is a good orator. So with that, I want to ask, what is your superpower as an entrepreneur? And also what is your kryptonite? Oh man, it's a great questions. The, the superpower is really my ability to listen, I feel, because you're talking about using too many words. There's, it's another thing, because it, everyone looks in my eyes, right? And I've had, like in the office, right? Say people, when I'm at my brick and mortar office, which is where the, the studio is here, we'll have salespeople come to the doors and I've got, I've got people that will handle them, so to speak. But then there's some that were like, yeah, just let them in today. You know, I'll talk to them. Maybe I just want a fun conversation, whatever it is. Yeah, and then I'll ask the kid, it's like, hey man, how you doing today? Yeah, and it's there's been times, dude, just with that even simple question, that I've had a couple people just break down in tears in my office, strangers. I don't even know. 
and just start pouring out their lives to me and telling me everything that's going on, on planes too. I mean, sitting in first class with someone next to me, people just start talking like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. You know, I'm like, it's a, <laughs> you know, like, I guess okay. I get that too. I don't know why, uh, but I, yeah, yeah. I know, but dude, I, I listen, you know, and I genuinely care about what I'm hearing too. So that, that, that I would say is my superpower because it's not even something that I, I can't say that I don't try to do it, but I recognize that that's an ability of mine. So I also try to accentuate it in those moments and put intentional purpose into listening what's going on with the other person, you know, and in those one-on-one -on -one moments. And that can also translate to stage speaking too, because now that I've heard so many different stories, I can also in the moments very easily read a crowd of a thousand people and where the room's sitting. And, and see what that energy is like in the room. And if I need to cut out 10 minutes or if I need to talk faster, if I need to completely scrap what I'm talking about right then and there and go into a story that will really be compelling for half of the crowd that's in front of me. It's the same thing as being able to read people individually and listen and then also just see the faces on people, man. That's my superpower, bro. My, my kryptonite, man, Everyone asks, you know, what's your biggest weakness, you know, and there's, there's that I, I do feel that it holds hands sometimes because there are also times to where I feel like I do use too many words, you know, and I'll start, I would rather let somebody else shine in the moments, but there's always so much that well, you, you probably get this too, man. You feel this way. You can carry the moments with everything that you say, uh, and you can put so many words in place to where you just sound like the person that that other individual was waiting for to speak into their life in that moment. But there are times to where you also just need to shut up. And I've learned that too. And it's something that I'm actively trying to do right now is to not use so many words, but use fewer words to get the point across. That way it leaves more time for the other person to talk. Yeah, I've, I've, I've invented what I refer to as fact shaping. And it's, uh, it's my own systematic approach towards condensing all of it. You know, like, how can I shape these facts in a way that they have the most powerful effect? And, you know, it's, it's, it's I say the term fact shaping. People are like, you mean like fake news? No, nothing, nothing like that. <laughs> it's, it, there, there, are, there are words and phrases yeah. and ways to deliver things. You know, there's literally an infinite amount of ways to say anything, which theoretically means that some of them have to be way better than others. So yep. you talk about replacing words like cheap with affordable and just different stuff. Yeah. And how can you condense things down and move things down? And, you know, you've did, you know, the difference between doing a show like this, which, you know, a, a 40 to 60 minute audio series, as opposed to like a three minute video, completely different, you know, completely exactly. different. And we can, we can get off the path and we can have a conversation. We can do this and we can do that. And then there are times when that doesn't necessarily end up being the right approach. So, and, yeah. and, you know, and the thing is, is there's really not a one size fits all uh, message or way to deliver because everybody's different. Everyone has a different personality type, a, a, a type a highly driven person. hears something completely different than uh, extreme type B person that's bottled up and introverted, you know, yeah, and, and that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's been a big struggle. I've actually spent a lot of time trying to study personality styles over the last 15 years. And, and, you know, like, and, it, you know, because the way your personality is perceived by others is their reality. And, yeah. um, and, you know, so if, if someone thinks you're an asshole, at least in one world, you are. Yeah, right on. It, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it or go with it, but that is really the way that it is. All right. So, well, Rick, this was this was interesting and fun. I'm just maybe just going to leave this as like a blank title. I'll just put like a symbol kind of like Prince changed his name to because we were all over the place with That's a cool. lot of different stuff. But this sure. is yep. this has been one of well, I don't I won't do that because it'll just confuse the hell out of people. But <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of different stuff out there. Now I, I am going to give you one minute to kind of sum some things up. And so we end our episodes of startup hustle with what we call the founders freestyle. We talked about a lot of stuff today. I want to give you an opportunity and a chance to uh, wrap it up or do, I don't know. Sometimes we leave things unresolved and as a musician, that unplayed note can keep you up all yeah. night. So do you have anything that you would like to uh, like to advise the, the hustlers on out there? Dude, yeah, there's one thing always that I'd like to go back to. And it's what are you known for? And 
take a moment and sit for five minutes and just think about that because it it's very easy to go towards the answer of well this is what i do right you know so when i first thought of that question it's like well i'm i'm it or i'm a musician you know i'm a, I'm a pastor whatever it is but that's how i got the whole moniker of all in it's just sitting and recalling back it's like you know everything that i do in my life it's never half-assed anything that i go in it's either completely obsessed or completely not interested there's there is no middle ground and this comes down to you know the name of the show startup hustle you know if you're doing a side hustle that's fine if it's for a time period but don't ever think of that as being the thing and don't ever have a fallback freaking burn the net and go all in because that's the only way you're going to achieve what you want to achieve it's the only way i did too i was forced into it by getting laid off and having two newborn twins i wouldn't have had it any other way you know, I'll parlay off that for my founders freestyle. Yeah, you know, I was having the same conversation the other day because I actually had someone I was I was sitting down and it was a, a young guy that was expressing some admiration for what we'd done at Startup Hustle. And I actually asked him, I said, How how do you know me? What like when you hear Matt DeCourcy, who am I? He goes, You're the startup hustle guy. And I was like, Shit. <laughs> Because I don't want to be the star. I want to be the guy from full scale. That's actually like, yeah, God, you yep. know, that's actually the business that I have that generates a lot of revenue as opposed yep. to this, where, uh, you know, this, this is the, the Mickey Mouse side of things. And it's great. But yeah, so I, I love that. You know, what are you known for? And I also think that, you know, one of the things that goes with that is what would you be remembered for? And, you know, you need to be, you should strive to want to be remembered as someone that helped elevate the people that are around them. And I want to be known as someone that like, you know what, when I worked with Matt, and then they say good things. And they say, you know, yeah. I got what I wanted to learn so much. And, you know, maybe it wasn't the greatest day every day, but there was a reason for that. And, yep. um, you know, so, so think about that. What are you known for and what do you be remembered for? If you put some shape and purpose around that, you're going to end up in a pretty good place. Rick, thanks again. I'm going to let you get out of here. I know you got a lot of important stuff to do, so I'll thanks catch up me. with you down the road. Sweet. Thanks for having me on, man. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>